Friends, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. We're looking at verses uh, 22 through 35 this morning. Uh, We're easing out of the Christmas season, and if you're anything like us at our house, uh, we're still decorated for Christmas and shows no signs of being packed up anytime soon. Uh, We we love Christmas. We want to hang on to it just a little bit longer, and Luke lingers uh, and and, uh, doesn't jump immediately from the birth of Jesus and go into his earthly ministry. He shows us a little bit of uh, Jesus after his birth and some of the promises in which, uh, the promises that he fulfilled. Uh, The the passage we'll be looking at this morning takes place a little over a month after Jesus's birth. So Exodus and Numbers instructed parents to offer particular kinds of sacrifices after their first son was born. And so Mary and Joseph are seeing that Jesus fulfills this part of the law. And it's on this occasion that Mary and Joseph meet a man named Simeon, uh, who the Lord has sent with both a song of praise, but also with a somber prophecy And so we'll see Simeon's words, what he had for Mary and Joseph, and and their words for us as well, for us to learn from. And so let's give our attention now uh, to God's word. But let me pray before we do. Uh, Lord, would you help us as we turn to your word uh, to take strength from it? Uh, Lord, uh, you told your disciples in John 15, already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Lord, would you clean us by your word? Would you help us? Would you sanctify us? Would you uh, show us sin and uh, the things of the world that we hold uh, too tightly to? And would you help us to run from these things to the Lord Jesus, to find life in him, forgiveness of sin? Uh, And uh, would you help us uh, now as we give attention to your word? It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's word in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 22. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people, Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Uh, Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. You may be seated. 
Well, there are four songs to the Lord surrounding Christ's birth. There's Mary's song. There's Zechariah's, uh, which Pastor David preached last week. Uh, there's the angel's uh, very brief song in uh, Luke 2, verse 14. And then Simeon's song is the last. We should remember that Christ's birth is an occasion for singing. And the church has modeled this ever since, not just on Christmas, but on every Lord's Day. Jesus' birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, make us an ever-singing people. Not just here, but in our homes. We are to be people who rejoice that the Lord has come. And we're to sing about all of this. We should remember here, too, that not all songs have to be long. Simeon's song isn't. It's a brief, but it's a powerful song. And it's focusing on how God has kept all his promises in Christ. And this is personal for Simeon. Simeon also delivers a prophecy about Christ, uh, that the world would be divided based on what they say about the Lord Jesus. But first, let's see how God answers prayer by bringing Joseph and Mary and Simeon together so that Simeon might meet Jesus. We'll see, first of all, uh, that God delights to answer prayer. Uh, Look with me in verse uh, 22. Uh, God has sovereignly brought Joseph and Mary and Simeon to the temple on the same day. And this is an answer very specifically to Simeon's prayer personally and the prophecy that uh, the the Holy Spirit revealed to Simeon uh, that he would see the Lord before he died. And so for for this reason and the, the way in which Simeon speaks about his death in such an imminent way, I think that Simeon is an old man at this point. Um, but Simeon uh, is, is there because the Lord told him that he would see the Christ. So this is an answer to his prayer. Uh, and in fact, it's not just an answer to his personal prayer. Uh, in, in so many ways, this is an answer to the prayer that everyone has been praying ever since Adam and Eve and they fell in the garden. And the Lord promised the Messiah to come. Simeon was led to the temple that day by the Spirit. But Joseph and Mary are there for Israelite business as usual. This is what they were supposed to do. It's a very normal and natural thing that has led them to the temple that day. Uh, Luke tells us that Joseph and Mary were coming to the temple for their purification, to present Jesus to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. So this would have included a five-shekel offering at the temple. And this would have included the offering of the pigeons or the turtle doves. Again, Mary and Joseph are doing what any Jewish parent would do with their firstborn son. They're bringing Jesus according to these rituals prescribed in God's law. What is this telling us? Well, Luke's dwelling on this for just a moment to remind us what Paul's going to say in Galatians 4.4. That when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, check, we've seen that, born under the law uh, to fulfill all the righteous requirements of the law. So that when Jesus goes to the cross, he is the perfect son of God, a man who has fulfilled everything that the Lord prescribed for his people to do. Jesus is born under the law for this purpose. And then Galatians 4 verse 5 says, to redeem those who were under the law. That's talking about us. We who are under the law but have failed to keep God's law. 
the Lord Jesus perfectly fulfills it. So that, Paul says in Galatians 4, 5, so that we might receive adoption as sons. This is, what Mary and jo- this is what Mary and Joseph are doing there. They're bringing Jesus to fulfill the, the ordinary things that uh, an Israelite family would have done, a Jewish family would have done. Uh, and yet it is the beginning of Jesus fulfilling all righteousness so that he can be our perfect sacrifice. Jesus humbled himself for this, to undergo all these rituals so that he could be the sacrifice in our place. Well, we also get in this passage some insight into Joseph and Mary's life, into what kind of family Jesus was born into. The offering that Mary and Joseph bring is not a lamb, but it's two turtle doves or two pigeons. Uh, this is what, uh, what Luke mentions in verse 24. Uh, the birds were a provision for those who could not afford a lamb. Now, Joseph wasn't destitute. He was a carpenter. And he had some means to be able to take care of his family. He could provide for them, but not enough to pay for a lamb. Uh, remember, uh, when we talked about this in Sunday school last week, 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, though the Lord Jesus Christ himself is the very riches of heaven, yet for your sake he became poor, humbled himself, Uh, becoming a a human in the first place is him becoming poor. But uh, even more, he didn't uh, become uh, human in an an earthly palace. He came into a manger, into a humble family. Uh, The Lord Jesus, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. So think of this. Later, Jesus will rebuke the scribes and Pharisees who claim that they are the true models of holiness. And one of the things that Jesus ridicules them for is the long robes that they like to wear. They like to dress themselves like kings. The the scribes and the Pharisees like to look fancy. Uh, But the, the scribes being opulent and flashy and ostentatious, all of these things are such a contrast to the Lord Jesus Joseph works with wood. Jesus uh, would have grown up surrounded by sawdust. The, the scribes and the Pharisees, they're concerned with their fine clothing. They're obsessed with their appearance, their image before man. But Jesus, what does Isaiah 53 tell us? Jesus had no form or majesty that we should look at him. God uses the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He became poor to make us rich with the only riches that really matter. He gave us himself. Jesus Christ is the very riches of heaven. And if we have him, then we can have nothing else. But if we have him, we have the the true riches. Poor Joseph and Mary walked into the temple with birds that day. But they held the very treasure of heaven in their arms. Brothers and sisters, is Christ your riches? Is he your prize? Is he your treasure? Is he your security in the world? Is he the one that you want above all else? What do you long for? What are you striving hardest after? When you think of the resolutions that you might make in this new year, certainly therefore self-improvement, uh, maybe they're for maybe they're things for you at home, or maybe they're things for you in your work. 
But, and, and all of these things in some way point to the things that we value. And, and certainly on, on their own, they can be good things. But is what you want most Christ himself? Let him be what you want the most. Settle yourself on him. Well, Joseph and Mary are doing these very normal, unremarkable things with the very Son of God. But now they have a remarkable meeting with Simeon. The Lord sovereignly brings them together as an answer to prayer, as an answer to uh, prophecy. And, and think of these things. You know, how, how many people, as Mary and Joseph are walking to the temple, how many people are passing by them that day? In the, in the crowded city streets, in the courtyard of the temple, people are just walking past, and they, they might think of Mary and Joseph as just an ordinary uh, couple. Maybe if they're from Nazareth, they might even suspect that they are scandalous sinners. But in their arms, Joseph and Mary hold the Messiah. And and everybody else is just kind of passing them by. Well, at least one person knows the truth. Somebody else there. The Lord has spoken to Simeon and brought him here this day to meet with Jesus, to get to see the Christ. And, and, and so this old man comes, and, and we see in verses 25 through 27 this description of Simeon. Uh, we're introduced to him there in verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. It's an amazing description of this man. And we we don't really know anything about Simeon other than what we read here. He doesn't appear anywhere else in Scripture. We don't know anything of his profession or his status. He's not a priest there at the temple. He appears to be a layman. And we should remember here how God has delighted uh, to use the the people around Jesus' birth uh, who are ordinary people. They're not known for their earthly influence or power. Joseph and Mary are small-town folks. Joseph's a carpenter. The shepherds uh, who came are not highly regarded people. And now we have Simeon, who, who we don't know much about uh, what, uh, what worldly people would have thought of him. Uh, but we see his character. And we see these wonderful things uh, that in the eyes of God are, are so precious. He is righteous and he is devout. What, what does it mean that Simeon is righteous? Well, first and foremost, Simeon is righteous because he found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Simeon is not someone who has uh, earned God's favor by his own works. He believed God. And it was counted to him as righteousness, as Genesis 15 says about Abraham. Before Jesus died and after Jesus died, people were saved by God's grace. Simeon is called righteous first and foremost as a gracious gift from God. But in keeping with God's grace, Simeon loved God's law and he sought to live by it. He lived according to God's standards. The Bible is the only rule to direct us how to glorify and enjoy God. And and Simeon lived by God's word. God's evaluation of Simeon through Luke is that he was righteous. He was godly in his dealings with man. He loved the Lord. What an incredible thing that Simeon has been called righteous by God. He's righteous. He's also described as devout. 
Now, this is an interesting word. Luke's the only person in the New Testament that uses this word. And this is the only time it appears in Luke. It appears in Acts nine times. Um, But here, Simeon is described as devout. He is someone who serves the Lord with his whole heart. He is devoted to the Lord. Simeon's is, is not merely formal religion without its power. He's not like the scribes and the Pharisees. He loves the Lord from his heart. Well, brothers and sisters, isn't this the kind of thing that you want said about you? Over earthly acclaim, don't you long to have the Father say to you, well done, good and faithful servant? That's something of what we see here as the Lord declaring through Luke uh, this, uh, this assessment of Simeon, that he is righteous and he is devout. All of this is of grace. All of this is the Holy Spirit's work in his life. And what has Simeon been waiting for? Well, he's been waiting for what every faithful Jew has been waiting for ever since Adam and Eve, the consolation of Israel. Now, the word consolation might also be translated comfort or encouragement. God's people have been waiting ever since Adam and Eve for the Messiah to come. They've been dealing with their own sin, with captivity in the land of Egypt, uh, with uh, battling uh, the other, other nations uh, as they entered into Canaan, and then going into exile uh, and, and, serving, um, and serving Babylonians uh, under their harsh rule. And now they're under Roman rule. But even the church in Simeon's day, God's people in his day are troubled by the legalistic leadership of the scribes and the Pharisees and the, the worldliness of the Sadducees. It's a hard time uh, to be a believer in that day. Uh, people are waiting, Lord, would you send the Messiah? Would you come? Would you bring us rest? Would you bring us a refuge? Would you answer your promises that we have so long waited for? Well, now Christ has come. And Simeon, as a grace from God, gets to see him. He's been praying for the consolation of Israel. We also see that the Holy Spirit was upon him. And this is a remarkable phrase. The Holy Spirit is mentioned three times here in reference with Simeon. And remember the way in which the Holy Spirit filled Zechariah in order that he might sing that scripture-filled song that he's saying, well, Simeon is being directed to the temple, and he's now going to do the same, the same thing. He's going to sing a scripture-filled song. It says that it had been revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. God had answered Simeon's prayer. And, and how many people before Simeon in the generations had prayed to see the Messiah come? All of them had been praying for this, and now Simeon gets to see it before he dies. God was answering Simeon's prayer. But isn't it wonderful? God answers Simeon's prayer in such an abundant way because the Lord told him that he would get to see him, but Simeon gets to do a little bit more than that. Now look what it says in verse 28. It says, He took him up in his arms. Uh, Simeon did what older people in the church have been doing for thousands of years. They held a baby. And in this moment, Simeon was taking the promises of God into his very hands. The Lord of glory wrapped in his arms. 
How wonderful is this? How wonderful must this have been for Simeon? The the Holy Spirit uh, had only mentioned the promise of seeing him, but now Simeon gets to hold him. What a remarkable kindness of God. And what a wonderful answer to his prayer. Well, in this moment, holding the Lord Jesus, Simeon sings his song. Uh, Maybe it's quietly. Maybe it's even spoken. But he sings this song, and we see in this song, in verses 29 through 32, God that God delivers all that he promised. Simeon takes the child and blesses God, praises him, saying in verse 29, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Now, now what does Simeon mean that he is departing? Uh, Well, Simeon, we should notice here, is starting the song very personally. And he's not just speaking about departing the temple that day. What Simeon is saying is that now that he has seen the fulfillment of God's promise, he can die a happy man. Uh, what the Lord has said has come. And, and you wonder, is there anything better than what he could be experiencing right now? Well, it's interesting. Instead of holding on to life as his only hope, Simeon uh, believes and he knows and he confesses that he can depart and be with God, which is far better. Simeon's not afraid of death. In fact, in the face of death, he has peace. He says that he has peace. And and what is it that gives Simeon peace here? And and we should be careful here because it's not holding the Lord Jesus that gives him peace. Fundamentally, what gives Simeon peace is the word of God being fulfilled. It is that God has answered his promises. And that is what gives Simeon hope. God keeps his promises. Simeon's hope, Simeon's peace is based on the word. And this is so important for us who certainly would long to see the Lord Jesus face to face. We are those who hope in his word. We're not to be those who are looking for signs and some brand new thing. Lord, if you would just show me something, then I would believe. Then I would be encouraged in my faith. The Lord has given us His Word, and we're to rest on the promises that He has given us in His Word. Someone who had a bit of a problem with this was Thomas. After the Lord Jesus appeared to the disciples, Thomas missed it. He wasn't present when when Jesus appeared after His resurrection to the disciples. And Thomas said that he, Thomas doubted and said that he wanted to touch the Lord Jesus before he believed. Until I put my hand in his wounds, I will not believe. But then what happened? Jesus appeared to Thomas a week later, and he offered his hands and his side to him. But then Thomas sees, and he believes, and he confesses, my Lord and my God, about Jesus. Such a strong statement about the deity of Christ in that verse. But then what does Jesus say back to Thomas? And it's, it's even more than for Thomas. It's for all of us. Uh, in Luke 20, 29, Jesus says, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And the Lord Jesus speaks of you there. You who have not seen and yet believe. Who, like Simeon, are trusting in fundamentally the promises of God. That the Lord keeps his word. That the Lord sent Jesus, the consolation of Israel, the consolation of all that we've hoped for. 
Brothers and sisters, trust in Him for the grace you need. Live by faith and not by sight. Uh, and, uh, and, and trust in Him that He will give you peace. Uh, be assured, Jesus keeps all of His promises. And, and maybe you think, I would like some peace like Simeon has. Uh, remember that uh, we come to the Lord in His Word for peace. And we can come to Him in prayer. And remember also that if, if you are, maybe you've gone for a long time without a real sense of peace from the Lord, uh, don't be ashamed to ask brothers and sisters around you for prayer. Uh, if you find yourself regularly troubled in spirit, ask brothers and sisters to pray for you that you might know the peace of God. Well, what does Simeon say? In verse 30, he says, My eyes have seen your salvation. Jesus is the salvation of God himself. And he is that salvation that verse 31 says that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. Simeon is rejoicing that salvation has come and the message is getting out. Paul will say in Acts 26, a passage of scripture that we'll read uh, this evening, Paul will say to Agrippa that these things... And he's speaking about Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection. These things have not happened in a corner. These have been prepared in the presence of all peoples. And now Jesus is being revealed. And more and more people are, are seeing. The shepherds rejoice. The wise men are coming. The angels, uh, the, the angels announced it. And more and more people are hearing about the Lord Jesus. In verse 32... Simeon speaks of the Jews and Gentiles because this salvation is from the Jews, but to both, to both the Jews and the Gentiles. It says he is a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Uh, salvation is going to the pagans, to those who uh, have not known the word of the Lord. And we're, we're, we see individual instances of this in the gospel, but we see big evangelistic moments uh, of this throughout Acts. Uh, so he is a light to the Gentiles, but he's also glory to Israel. Jesus Christ was born of Israel. Salvation is for the Jews and the Gentiles, but it comes through the Jews in the person of Jesus. But we should notice here that Jesus is the one who is the glory of Israel. The Jews who reject Jesus are rejecting their own glory. And blaspheming God. The, the glory that they've waited for uh, is found in Jesus Christ. In this humble form of a baby. He himself is the very glory of Israel. Uh, but, but there are many who will not accept it. Who will not believe it. Uh, the, the divide that we see now is no longer between Jew and Gentile. Uh, as the New Testament will insist. But those who are in Christ or who are not in Christ. Well, friends, do you trust God as the promise keeper? Do you look to Christ in His Word? Do you take hold of Him there in His Word? And do you go to Him in prayer? Uh, do you, like Simeon, have confidence in death and hope even when things around you seem hopeless? It, it was a troubled time in Simeon's day, but he's not panicking. He has the peace of God. And he knows that God delivers on all his promises.
Well, finally, see with me that God divides all people by Christ. This is in verses 33 through 35, just briefly here. Joseph and Mary marvel at Simeon's song. And and they're not just marveling because this is new information. They see the glory of all of this. And Joseph is united with Mary in marveling. Mary treasured all these things up in her heart. I think this is emphasized because Mary's eyewitness account of all this will be used by Luke, the author. Um, But Joseph here, he's no checked out dad. Joseph is awestruck by all of this and he's worshiping the Lord who sent his son, who also Joseph will raise as his own son. But interestingly here, not all people will marvel at Christ. Not all will receive him as the fulfillment of God's promises. They want a Messiah after their own image. And so Simeon gives this prophecy uh, and this somber word that many will rise and fall by Christ. In fact, they will rise or fall based on Christ. Uh, we, we, we see this uh, here that in, in verse 34, that Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, he singles Mary out, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Christ is the dividing line. Luke will record Jesus' words in Luke eleven twenty three: Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. Some will say um, that, uh, that, that Christ, by saying such a thing, you know, if, if, a nor- if, if any other person uh, said this sort of thing, that whoever is, uh, is not with me is against me, if there was a character in a movie or something like that, there would be dramatic, ominous music behind a person like that. That's the language of tyrants, people say. But it's actually the language of Jesus here. This language is fitting for Jesus because he is the king. He is the one who rules. Even though, he is, uh, even though he is a baby now, all people will either rise or fall based on what they say about the Lord Jesus. We also find that Mary will have her heart pierced. He speaks to Mary and he uses the sword metaphor that Jesus will bring a division between those who trust him and who reject him. But Simeon speaks to Mary of this sword because it will pierce her heart as well. She is going to be in sorrow when Jesus is crucified. She is going to, in John nineteen twenty five, we read that she will helplessly watch her son be crucified. She's helpless in that moment, but she's not hopeless. You think for a moment what kind of encouragement perhaps this prophecy would have been for Mary even as she stood at the feet of Jesus, watching him being crucified, this prophecy would have perhaps comforted her in her grief. That what she was watching, as terrible as it was, and as much of an anguish as it would be for her personally, she knows that what she is seeing is something that God planned. That she can think, God knows, and so I can trust. And this is true for all of us. We trust in the sovereignty, uh, the, the, the perfection of God, that he uh, knows all things. We can trust him, uh, and therefore we can have hope. We can have peace when things are difficult for us, because we know that God knows. Uh, 
Well, brothers and sisters, if you are in Christ, then you can have peace in His name, even in the most difficult trials, because God has ordained whatever shall come to pass. If anyone is not in Christ, he is on the wrong side of that dividing line. But he can be made new. He can take hold of Christ by faith. He can have forgiveness of sin and eternal life. Brothers and sisters, pray this for your neighbor, the one who doesn't know Jesus. And perhaps you may have an opportunity to tell him or her about Jesus, the one by whom all either rise or fall. But for us who have taken hold of Christ, on the day when He calls you home, you can depart in peace because you have taken hold of God's salvation in Christ. And on that day, faith will become sight and you will say with Simeon, my eyes have seen. Let's pray together. Oh Lord Jesus, we thank You that You are our God and King, the One who humbled Himself, was born of Mary, Uh, uh, was uh, raised up and lived a perfect life, fully obedient uh, to the law, so that you might be a perfect sacrifice in our place on the cross. Oh Lord Jesus, would you help us to know you? Help us to walk humbly beneath your cross. We thank you that you were raised to life, that we might have new life in you. Lord, help us to trust you. Uh, Help us to follow you as the one uh, by, by whom uh, the, the Lord divides all things. Uh, Lord, we are either for you or against you. And Lord, we are for you. We love you. Uh, we thank you for all that you have done for us by your grace. We pray all of this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.